Hello and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week, I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. This episode of Collective Wisdom is brought to you by Gift Wellness, an award-winning social enterprise that makes non-toxic and hypoallergenic sanitary pads and their new range of plastic-free vegan cleansing and shampoo bars. Founded by Dr. Zareen Ahmed in memory of her daughter Halima, who was tragically killed in 2007, Gift Wellness make and sell healthy lifestyle products that give their customers a feeling of well-being and the knowledge that they are supporting a brand that cares about their individual needs, as well as the environment and the needs of those who are less fortunate. Their scheme, Buy One, Gift One, means that for every pack sold, a pack is donated to women in refugee camps and women in need via food banks and schools. Gift pads are at least six times more absorbent than most ordinary brands. This makes them better for the environment because around a third less product is used and thrown away. The friendly packaging and branding dispels taboos. It celebrates women so they don't have to hide them away or be embarrassed. Gift Wellness are offering listeners of Collective Wisdom a super generous 30% discount using the code CAT30. That's C-A-T-30. So head over to giftwellness.co.uk to learn more about this inspiring social enterprise that's helping thousands of women around the world to safeguard their dignity during times of crisis. Use the code CAT30, C-A-T-30 at checkout if you like what you see. And I promise you won't be disappointed. Thanks so much to Gift Wellness. Hey there, my wise friends, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Collective Wisdom, which this week is all about financial health and well-being, which given we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis and we're all seeing the price of commodities go up and inflation is on the rise, it feels like an important conversation to have. My guest, Anna Orenstein Cardova, is a financial coach and educator with a background in financial trading, who is really passionate about helping women in particular to get really wise about their financial health. Money problems are one of the biggest causes of stress and have a real impact on our mental health. So her work is more important now than ever. We talk about the self-empowerment that comes when you start to take ownership of your finances and some of the simple ways you can start from where you are and make small but positive changes that over time will have a big impact. As you'll hear, she really is a wealth of knowledge and this episode is pure gold. Joining me today is wealth coach Anna Orenstein Cardona. Anna was born and raised in Puerto Rico. She grew up in a multicultural home where, although money was tight, love was plentiful. And from a young age, she was constantly coming up with inventive ways to raise and save money. Anna received her Bachelor of Science degree in Brain and Cognitive Sciences from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, and for over two decades, worked on the trading floors of various large financial institutions, both on Wall Street and in the City of London. Anna now works as a certified financial educator and wealth coach, 
and is passionate about bridging the financial inequality gap. In 2020, she founded Wear Your Money Crown, a unique endeavor that works with both individuals and organizations to promote financial literacy and build financial resilience, all while taking a compassionate, heart-centered approach. She says of her work, I believe that we all deserve to live an abundant life that means allowing our money to flourish, so that it not only protects us and those we love, but also gives us the freedom to make choices. And if that's not enough, Anna is also a children's writer, and her debut picture book, The Tree of Hope, was published in 2022. She currently lives between London and the USA with her two very special rescue cats and her southern gentleman husband. So Anna, a warm, warm welcome to Collective Wisdom. Thank you so much for being here, especially because this season is all about celebrating inspirational female leaders from around the world. And I think you fit that bill absolutely perfectly. Well, thank you, Kat, for allowing me to be here. It's an honor. So let's just start with um, that that kind of inspiration, I guess, going back to your roots and growing up in Puerto Rico and, yeah, family life, what you saw there, where this all kicked off, really. Oh, brilliant. Absolutely. So when I think about my childhood, as as you kindly mentioned in, in the bio and that lovely introduction is I grew up in a multicultural home. It was a multi-religious home as well. My father's Jewish, my mom is Catholic. And so from a young age, let's say um, I'm the youngest of three, I was quite engaged in understanding that we all are different and unique. Now, one of the things I also noticed as a young child was the financial pressures my family faced. And so mm-hmm. as a bit of background, um, my mother has an incredible story, but she, my mother was um, a brilliant and compassionate human being, an incredible lady who, despite being an orphan, rose above that, was um, the first to go to university in her family and studied law. And then she went to New York University and did her master's where she met my father. And that's how a uh, Russian Jewish immigrant <laughs> came to meet my mother and they moved to Puerto Rico. So um, a lot of their career, career was focused on helping other people. So even though they were both lawyers and extremely intelligent, no one taught them how to handle money. And on top of that, as I say, a lot of their time was dedicated to helping other people. And so we grew up in a situation where we had to move homes constantly because all of a sudden they couldn't afford the rent anymore. And so we had to move homes. And I remember, you know, sometimes not even wanting to unpack my boxes because I was like, okay, we're going to move again. But through it all, at the age of 10, I realized one day, especially seeing my father um, very emotional around certain things, dealing with the finances, I said, I'm going to have to help him out. I am going to have to take care of my parents. And that was at the age of 10. And literally my focus was being very inventive with my money. So I would sell pens at school and highlighters and cupcakes and whatever I could. And, um, put together a little savings pot. And I, I, when I was able to work, I worked and I won scholarships to go to the U S during high school to, to, um, do things and also got some money through that. And at the end I was able to, after graduating from MIT, um, which I'll tell you a little bit about because I studied something different from finance. Right. And I ended up in the world of finance, but I bought my parents their first home at the age of 23. And so for me, that was one of my whys, right? Is why do I want to build wealth is so I can help my family. Yeah. And I believe that, you know, 
money elevates what's inside of us. And so for me, that was my why um, at the time, you know, and our why changes with life, but it was beautiful to be able to, to see the difference you can make in the life of my parents, put their money for us to get a great education, right? So even though we didn't have luxuries, we had to move a lot. We had a lot of, um, let's say, volatility because of the financial situation. On the positive side, you know, we had food on the table, we had um, a roof over our heads, even though it was leaky many, many times. And um, we had the best education that my parents could afford in Puerto Rico. So they sent us to an American schools um, that were, you know, very focused on allowing you to get to a good university. Of course, I had to work my little socks off <laughs> to do so, and especially to get to somewhere like MIT. But education opens doors not yeah. only in terms of um, the network of people you meet, which to this day is still something that blows my mind, the equality and the incredible nature of the people you meet, but also the education you learn. And so um, for me, let's say buying my parents a home and since then doing what I could for them financially has been a blessing. And that's, I mean, that's so fascinating. Firstly, thank you for being so open because, you know, there's a lot there. The, the first thing that occurs to me is, what you were watching was your parents make sacrifices mm. to afford that education. They saw the value in education. Clearly for your mum, it had been so impactful to go from being an orphan to getting to be, you know, to study law in New York. And that was, you know, she's the living, breathing embodiment of how that, that opened doors for her. But I guess one of the questions, I, the people they were helping, I guess you were growing up in an environment where, there was just a lot of poverty and it wasn't always possible to afford that, that education. Absolutely. And there's still, there's a lot of poverty. So just as a bit of background, so all Puerto Ricans are um, US citizens. We're not a state, we're what's called a Commonwealth. And so if you look though at, um, for instance, just going back a few years to 2017, Hurricane Maria, that was the biggest natural disaster in 80 years to hurt my country, really showed the poverty that exists on the island. We knew that existed because as a child, as you will say, I saw that. Now, um, it's hidden because it's like um, almost like, oh, no. Americans, there's no poverty here, but there is, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was highlighted. But I remember a specific case. There was a gentleman who always, he was a beggar. Like he would go to the local, um, it's called San Patricio, which is um, St. Patrick's. It was like a mall and he would always be there begging. And so then the um, that was his source of income. And it ended up, he had three children. He was actually a really good man. He just had fallen on hard times. And then the department, um, store basically they kicked him out and they said you can't come here and ask for money and they sued him like imagine suing a man who has no income so my parents for many years defended him um for free of charge and that's just one example they did this with so many people they're like that's not right we're going to defend and um be able to allow this man to earn a living in a different way and so that that is beautiful examples of what i saw in my youth of my parents saying that's not right how can mm -hmm. we use our talents and time to advocate for those that don't have a voice. And to this day, that inspires me tremendously. Yeah. And then, and then there's this piece around, I mean, you're clearly so driven and it's, it's like, if I can get that financial security, I can help my parents from that place. I can then use that, that, that position of security to empower other people to, to help them from falling into that poverty trap that that cycle where 
for some people it's just impossible to get out of right it makes so much sense that 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 is when you when you talk about why you do what you do it starts to make so much sense thank you yeah I think that um, one thing I did want to mention about my journey and um, at MIT that I studied brain and cognitive sciences, which was actually funnily enough, now 20 plus years later, I'm really using it a lot in my job as a financial Mm. educator and financial coach. But um, what's interesting is the importance of people knowing that you can pivot. So I was on the track to go to medical school. I had done every single thing by the book that you can imagine, done my MCATs, worked at Harvard School of Public Health, at MIT in the labs, like did every single thing. And then I realized um, partly because one one way I was tired of it's really, really hardcore and you have to study 24-7, right? But secondly, um, the economic decision of saying, okay, I'm going to go to medical school get more student debt because in the US it's extremely expensive while mm-hmm. carrying undergraduate debt, I couldn't help my parents. Right. And so I knew as a decision, okay, this is where I go to make money, pay down my loans and go back to medical school. And then I fell in love with, with the world of training and finances. So that's how I pivoted, but th- that's something as inspiration to anyone who's listening to this is trust your intelligence, trust yourself. Intelligent people can do anything. Just yeah. go with it. Yeah. Yeah. And go towards that gravitational pull that you were talking about. You know, the compass there was I, I what's driving this is I want to I want to afford that financial security. I want to help my parents. I want to reflect back to them how much I can I can give back as a thank you for this start in life perhaps. And that was your your compass. That's your north star. So and how many of us hold ourselves back or I've started on this path. I'm going to be a medic even if it involves getting into more debt and not necessarily really fulfilling the, the original vision, the original dream there. We, we don't allow ourselves. That, that word pivot is so powerful, so yeah. powerful. So, but how did you go? So you went, you went to MIT thinking, I'm going to do cognitive behavioral science with a view to psychology medicine correct yeah and then how how do you get from there to the trading floors so it's a really funny story but I basically sat there at the age let's see when I was uh, a senior so I was 21 and I'm like okay where can I make money like let me see what type of jobs with my background I could um, apply to and I remember um, the one thing I was certain is I wanted to live in Manhattan I love New York my grandfather um, he lived in the Bronx and I wanted to be closer to him because we had a very very close relationship that's my father's father and I was like okay how can I make this happen but the funny story is little old 21-year-old Anna thought, let me just apply to one job and I'll get it. (laughs) I'm like, of course, looking back, I'm like, you're crazy. Um, And so I I literally remember walking Infinite Corridor at MIT, which is this really long hallway that we have and seeing a job posting um, for a junior trader at this firm on Wall Street. I'm like, oh, I took it off the wall because, you know, in those days it was like that. They put a little post-it with <laughs> tag. <laughs> I grabbed it. I went home and I said, I, I applied and um, literally they said, okay, it's your responsibility to make it to Manhattan for the first round of interviews. They didn't even cover the cost. 
long story short, I had no suit. I went and bought a suit, asked all my friends in finance, can you teach me what, what finance is? And they were teaching me about bonds and the stock market and all this within like literally two days before my interview, I went there and I remember entering the room and it was all old men, like all old men. And I was like, I'm never going to get this. This is insane. And so I'm just like, I'm going to be who I am. And in the interview, that's what, what happened. They were asking me like, you know, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, well, I do research in Alzheimer's disease and I do this and that. And so I talked and I thought, eh, never going to get this. And they called me back for a second interview. And then they paid me to fly there from Boston. <laughs> it was all very, it started to become more, more realistic. And then that's how um, a small pivot was, even though the role was for trading, they said, we think with your personality and skills, you'd be great in sales on the yeah. trading floor. And so that's how um, I ended up getting that job offer, <laughs> accepting. And that's how um, I got into Wall Street. <laughs> Wow. And you know, what I see in that is, so you've got, there's that fiery combination of grit and determination. And, you know, you didn't get to where you were at MIT in the first place without that. And then you have this optimism, this, this can do attitude, this energy that comes across when you, when we move into a space where we just think, either what have I got to lose or what, what you said as you pulled that note down yeah of course I'm going to get this that <laughs> takes you to a different level when you're talking to people when we come from a place of I'm never going to get this it kind of becomes our reality and yet you just went in with that whether it's naivety whether it's part of your your sort of energy in the first place but I think that's a winning combination of grit and determination with optimism and that just 10x is your energy levels that 10x is your your law of attra attraction if you if you I believe in that so much and it was in a subtle way a way of manifestation that I wasn't aware of because I, I have studied manifestation now you know in my in my 30s and 40s but I didn't wasn't aware of that so it was naturally and also my mom was the biggest optimist she always believed in me and having that female um leader right of 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 seeing that the belief is that you can get up and do anything. You just have to dedicate yourself to it. Of course, there's work involved, but yeah, it was beautiful. And I feel so blessed because to this day, by the way, my first bosses on Wall Street are my friends, like them, yeah. their spouses. 24 years later, we still meet up. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's it's so true. And it's it's that um it's it's old wisdom, but success has this habit of of favoring the action takers. So rather than saying, oh, there's a post-it on the wall, I know nothing about finance, so there's no way I can get this, you take the opposite approach, which is, well, I can go and learn a little bit about finance, but I can at least show up and face possible rejection, possible, yeah, there may have been a realignment and, okay, this is, if you really want to go down this route, this is what you're going to have to learn, but you you were there in the first place. You put yourself in that position. Yeah. Unbelievable. So you get to the trading floors. And, and it makes sense to me that sales, yeah, absolutely. Because you've got this winning combination of like your people orientated as well. It's, it's all about communication and talking to people. I can see what they saw in you. It's like, this girl <laughs> is going to be able to be on fire. How, how was that? I mean, it must've been a very male dominated world at that stage. Oh, it was. I think there was literally three of us that were females, um, and I'm trying to remember now there was one sales lady on the repo desk and then 
um, me and, and my colleague, Bridget, who is a fantastic friend to this day. And we were pretty much the only women on that section of fixed income, government bond trading and sales, like, you know, of that. So what is so interesting is I think that, um, I was very lucky that my first firm was an old school firm in the sense that they had not hired juniors before. And so literally we were the first time they hired junior salespeople and and, and a junior trader and they threw us into it. So literally they trained me like it was like spend time on, on this desk, spend time with the traders, spend time with sales. And so until we found our feet, right. And I ended up, my first, first job was um, covering central banks because of my language skills, right. It's good. Cause Spanish was my primary is my primary tongue. And I was able to cover uh, Latin America. But what was so interesting is that we didn't go through a lot of the other firms have these programs that you have to spend, spend six months and then six months here. And then a year here, we had fast progression right? Because they said, okay, throw you in. You have to pass your series 63 and all these exams, right? Series seven that you had to pass in those days to, to do this job because it's regulated. Um, I had two months to study. I was like, okay, let's do this. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and then I just learned. And then quickly after six months, they promoted us. And then after that, another promotion. And then they sent me to London in 2000 to work here um, covering I- Iberian clients. And so I think what's so fascinating about that is that I landed in a job where if you were good, you got results very quickly rather than it being very structured. Yeah. But it it was quite funny, by the way. I mean, I remember tons of times where I was like, what did I get myself into? (laughs) And and were you, were you constantly slightly under, under stress that you were always having to learn new things, always having to like, wait a minute, was there a sense of sort of faking it till you make it? Or were you just leaning into your strengths? Oh, a hundred percent at the beginning. I was like, why am I here? Right. Because all of a sudden you realize the, the other um, people they had chosen, um, we were, we were only three people, but the other two people had a background in finance or came from families Mm -hmm. of finance. I was literally like the outsider, but there is something that you said correctly at the beginning is that um, business is a people's like it businesses people. And so what I love about that is that I'm like, okay, I get people. I can learn this. Okay. The stock market, I get it. Okay. I get government bonds. Okay. So there's a learning curve that's quite steep at the beginning. But again, um, that never scared me. I always knew that if I dedicated myself, like I wasn't even at MIT, I wasn't the smartest, but I was the hardest worker. Like you betcha, like I worked twice as hard as anyone to get good grades because I knew that I needed to do that because some things didn't come naturally to me. Right. And then after you retrain your brain with neuroplasticity, you learn for it to work for you. Right. And so, um, yeah. And then once I learned, I was like, oh, this is fun. This is like a story. We have the government, central bank people doing stuff. We have the corporates. We have, you know, let's say the municipalities. We have um, different counterparties with, with the reason. And at the end of the day, you know, I I found, let's say, a passion for sure in that space. And that's why I stayed over two decades. Yeah. Yeah. So, so and the passion was the people. And, and you're right in that. I also believe it. it is about those relationships. It's about building those relationships. And then you just, corporations are made up of people. So, you know, that's that's how you're going to get inside. There's always a mission, isn't there? Every single thing you and I see was a thought in someone's brain before, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that is a corporation, whether let's say it's an automobile, whether it is a computer, where, you know, and so there was a person behind that. 
right? And so that's how I think of every single thing that I, even like when I look at asset managers, I worked for a long time hand in hand with some of the world's largest asset managers on portfolios, right? Because they invested on behalf of their investors. And, you know, I was blessed that I had a good relationship with many of them. And at the end of the day, they were, they're driven by passion as well. A lot of them to do the best for their investors. And so it's actually a beautiful story behind it. If you really look into finance. And so you have two decades of making good money, you're earning good money, you're able to support your family. And, you know, you said you were able to go back and buy that house for your your parents. And and then something must have changed. So 2020 and you you make another pivot, really. It's 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 not so much a pivot, but I feel like there was a sort of again a gravitational pull towards this helping people understand financial well-being. Yes. And wear your money crown. I'm really intrigued as to that whole idea of, you know, literally wearing your money crown. So where where did that come from? Great question. So I have to say that for a while I knew, even though I love the world of finance, um, the more senior you get, sometimes what happens is they put you more in offices rather than in the middle of the training floor doing what you're good at, looking at compliance and risk lines and, you know, all the things that I I did find interesting, but it just wasn't um, fulfilling for me anymore, right? Because the more senior you get, the more problems sometimes happen. (laughs) All of a sudden you're like, okay, meeting with regulators, meeting with this and that. And you're like, okay, great. But I want to do something with the people, right? And so um, that happened. I also always have been a storyteller and my grandfather always um, loved, bless him, loved my stories as a child. And it's something that while working, I did night classes in creative writing and I was doing that. And through that journey of actually writing for children in the background in the nights and weekends, I found out that something called um, the National Financial Educators Council existed. The NFEC is an organization which you can get certified in as a certified as a financial educator mm. and as well as a um financial coach and other certifications. I I really didn't know that existed because I've always seen the world of finances, like the buy side, meaning pension funds, asset managers, banks, bank treasuries, and um, the sell side, you know, investment banks. And of course, in between that financial advisors or wealth managers, I never knew this, this world existed. So, so then that started to awaken in me. And then of course, um, COVID hit in March, 2020. And I remember going, okay, um, what is going on? Like, I suspected we were going to be hit with it. I flew to Puerto Rico to be with my family, make sure that they were okay before flying back with supplies here because the UK, as you know, also went through a severe shortage of many important elements for that. But um, this is what I saw. Number one, I saw a disproportionate, um, you know, basically unwellness for women, Right. COVID affected women extraordinarily. Not only do we as women face enough financial challenges, such as um, obviously the gender pay gap, which then translates to a wealth gap and savings gap, but we also have the uh, maternity penalty and we even have menopause penalty. Yeah. yeah. 25% of women um, with that are going through menopause state that, um, you know, they're because of the symptoms are going through, they would like to leave work and 10% do. So this is a massive topic, right? For women's financial wellness, as well as physical wellness. So you have those elements and then the pandemic comes and one in four women who became 
under um, unemployed during that time say it was due because of child care. That's twice as much as men. So again, I'm seeing this and going, wow, if they had the right financial cushions, those decisions wouldn't have had to be made, right? In certain things. And so I started to see that. Um, I started to see even before 2020, but um, you know, some of my female friends go through divorce and get financially abused. And I was getting pissed off, frankly. I was like, what is going on with a little education? Even the people they hired, I'm like, how can they not tell you your rights? Like to pension and to this, like it just, you know, it started to boil in me. And then sadly in 2020, I lost my beloved mother from cancer. And I'm I'm very grateful I was by her side and I was through the whole journey as she transitioned. But that was when I'm like, enough is enough. I need to go follow my passion. So by then I had started my certification as a financial educator. I just finished it, went through my exams. And then um, I built, and on my website, it it says this, I built my business in honor of my mother because she left an amazing legacy in this world of just female empowerment. She was a a feminist before her times, right? And she lifted others. And so I'm like, I want to lift others. And so for me, I really believe from the bottom of my heart that financial education is the key to close the gaps that we're seeing of inequality. Not every single one of them, of course, but strong um it's it's one of the strongest and most important elements for us to help people step into their own power yeah yeah and it's it's interesting you know over nine seasons of this podcast i have heard so often that firstly i'm very sorry to hear about losing your mom because you know it was the pandemic was a challenge as it was but you know for those people who then lost friends and family whether it was because of covid or because of something else it was such a an isolating time it was it was a time when we couldn't even host funerals the way we would normally all the rituals were gone everything was sort of thrown up in the air it was such a hard time to be in that period of grief but i've heard so many people say it becomes a a catalyst if you like it becomes that moment where you realize yeah, life won't go on forever. Things change. And now, now is the time. You know, stop putting off those, oh, I'll do that in a minute. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll think about this. And how much you get back to your own source, your own, which for me feels like you almost came full circle. You know, yes. back to the people, it's back to empowerment. It's back to seeing where those poverty cycles can lead. And wait a minute, I actually have the tools and the wherewithal to help people in that particular way. So amazing. So amazing. Yeah, I definitely think that certain things ignite. And even though it's, you know, your soul um, and our inner voice is so powerful. And many times we let other people, let's say, or other influences, external influences, let's say, um, rise above that inner voice. But my inner voice always was searching for how can I use my talents, my wisdom to yeah. leave legacy, right? And so when I lost my mother, I remember literally, and 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 sometimes I wake up and I still can't believe it happened because she's so core. And of course, I, I'm a I'm a woman of faith, so I believe she's present in another way. However, I remember in that minute saying like, wow, this happens to other people. It doesn't happen to me. And it happened. And so it's facing that, right? It's facing that. How can I take this grief and convert it into passion and positivity? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that also is, is a way through, you know, you, you learn to live alongside grief rather than 
it, it's it's can I take that that sorrow and that loss and turn it into something beautiful? Yeah, which is not easy, not easy to do. Oh, no, absolutely. I think grief has no expiry date and it manifests in all sorts of ways in our life. However, I do think that when we really think about how would that person want us to live the rest of our life? Yeah. They would want us is to be crying and and, and constantly in turmoil, right? Mm -hmm. It's actually to use that feeling and help other people to not experience pain in their life, whether it is in my instance, you know, um, money is a source of emotion for a lot of people. And if I can bring a little bit of helping people breathe easier in their financial lives, the vibrations and re- reverberations of that in um, are incredible because it goes into their relationship with their spouse, their relationship with their children, their ability to do be better because they have the financial security to then step into their power. Yeah, so beautiful. So what would you say, you know, for someone listening to this, okay, am I financially literate? Uh, what are the what are the core concepts of when when someone comes to work with you that come up? What what are the things that I mean, I, I would consider when you talk about making investments, oh my God, that is something I have literally shied away from, don't know how to do it. Why have I got my head stuck in the sand? You know, why have I absolutely outsource that to my husband or you know my dad knows more about it what is that about yeah so you know what's what is interesting is that 90 this is a study from Merrill Lynch I remember and they quoted and the um the stats were 91% of women trust their instincts when it comes to motherhood and around 50% trust it when it comes to investing and we need to change that narrative and again that's through financial education now in general, when you look at certain um, historical gaps, well, financial literacy is one. Many times, um, you know, the male gender is taught to invest, to take more risk, and women are taught to be safe and save money and, and you know, not learn how to make it grow. But of course, and, and it's Women's History Month, let's take a moment to think about when were women allowed the first credit card without a male cosigner? It wasn't until the 1970s. Wow. You know, it's insane to think about, let's say, women's rights within financial inclusion. And so, of course, that's why even though, um, you know, women make up more than 50% of the workforce, but when we look at the income levels, they represent 70% of the low wage earners. Mm-hmm. So there, this all translates to exactly about where, you know, so many women work so hard, they don't have, let's say, the bandwidth sometimes to work on their finances. When if we shifted that narrative and worked on their finances more, we would be able to cause positive changes within that workspace, get them out of the low wage earners, help them to use um, and grow their money so their money's working for them. So there's a few things that when I work with individuals and my clients, I notice, and one of them is that it's called money avoidance. It's one of the five archetypes of money that I focus on. And what do I mean by money avoidance? Number one, it could be, um, you know, represented by people who give their financial power away. And I'm not saying that that is, you know, negative. I just want to change that because the truth is that females outlive their spouses. And so if you look at history, of course, not every single case, but if you look at statistics, women outlive, and if we're not um, involved in that, um, you know, in the financial planning for the future, it's much difficult to do it 
when we've lost our love, right? Our loved one has passed and have that emotional and turmoil happening. That that would be one thing. Number two, money avoidance could lead people to, um, you know, obviously not look at their finances, which leads to other repercussions and, you know, um, problems with debt and problems with, with credit and not being able to borrow. And if you can't borrow, you can't, you know, for instance, buy a home or build wealth in certain ways. So, so there's a lot of things that go on with women. So my passion is when I look um, at working with women, first of all, I start with um, mindset, letting go of those transgenerational beliefs that they have inherited, whether that is consciously or subconsciously. And that's part of my work. And that's where I say how my brain and cognitive sciences background also. Yes, with that. Yeah. Right yeah. at the beginning. So, oh. so that was, that's, that's where I start first. And then we look at doing like a financial health check, understanding where are you now? Right. Mm-hmm. And where do you want to go? What are your um, personal goals? Because we need to align them with your financial goals. Um, I work from there on, you know, assessing, okay, how can we use what money levers can we pull to make you healthier? Is that lowering your expenses, raising the income, you know, things like this in a very, um, I look at things very strategically and especially in a way of how can we make your money grow in a tax efficient way, for instance, through investing, but also through savings, through the correct vehicles that we have Mm. available, whether you're US or UK, I work with both. I'm a specialist in both the US financial landscape and the UK financial landscape, Um, not only for my years in finance, but also for my personal investments, being an American in Britain, I've had to navigate both worlds. Um, And so one of the things that I I look at is again, the person as a whole, how can we align your finances with your values and with who you are and reach the goals that you want to do and follow your why. And so for investing, I'm just, it's so interesting because I think the biggest thing holding women back is the fear of making a mistake. Listen, when we learn to ride a bike, we fall. Okay. That's a mistake. We get up and keep going, right? You have children as a mother. And of course, anyone makes a mistake, you learn from that, you grow, you become a better mother. Well, same with being an investor, you learn, you make mistakes, you become a better investor, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or even, in, I, I, I'm not sure if it's just the making mistake, there's a risk, there's always risk with investment, <clears throat> but it's more about, wait, where do I even start? I think, I think sometimes as adults, we feel quite foolish going, I've got to the ripe old age of 53 and I don't even know where I would make a start to to make a decision around that other than saying to my husband oh I've got this idea about something that I think would be worth investing in you know I I hear things like index linked investments and it makes sense to me that if you put money in a pot when you're 25 and you just you don't have to pick and choose shares you just you just allow the stock market to it's a long-term gain, you know, it's, it's just going to grow over time in the same way property might be a, a similar thing where you're just, you're not going to say, I'm going to bet my shirt on this being the thing, but it's, it's, it's often just that we don't know the language. And, and that's why your, your take on just that financial literacy, that how do I even describe what it is that I'm I'm just not very good at, you know, that I can't see. So when I, um, so I work with individuals one-on-one, I have a group coaching program that is like an, an online e-learning center plus a live weekly element. Um, and now I've started to work with organizations who are seeing the importance of financial wellness as a employee benefit 
because again, money worries are one of the biggest concerns of employees and that has repercussions on productivity. It has repercussions on retention and engagement. And so one of the things that I align to each person is understanding their personality. Are they, for instance, and this happened last week with one of my clients, she's like, and I just want to like learn to invest and put it away and not look for it for a while. I'm like, cool, we can do that. Don't worry. Like we, it's just a different approach. Other people say, like, I want to learn and I want to keep, you know, I want to dive in and I want to learn mm-hmm. how to do this. Mm-hmm. And so there's different approaches to things. Now, what I would say is um, when Harry Potter, right, first came out and you heard certain terms like muggle, did you know what it was? No. Well, the same thing, you learn a language, you learn this world. We learned in that instance, J.K. Rowling's world, right? Of um, how I'm trying to remember as the background or, you know, that where the prison where everyone was and the spirit and this. And so all these new terms came into, into mind with Harry Potter. And I remember comparing that to the world of finance. It just has terms. What I try to do is demystify those terms and make them easier to understand. And when people start to speak the language, just like you would, let's say, as a wizarding hero in the world of Harry Potter, right, with um, all those vocabularies, you learn that in the world of finance. And so we start simple. We start by looking at um, our financial health. We start looking at the cash flow elements in our life, and that includes income, expenses, taxes, debt, and savings. We look at how can I, um, you know, basically those money levers, how can I work them in my advantage? And then, so we have our money. How can I now invest that through what vehicles are available to us? So um, if we look at the UK, for instance, we have pensions, right? Which is pre-tax money you can put in there. Okay, well, within pensions, usually it's funds you can invest in. Like you said, which funds are a collective of money. You can invest it in bonds in stocks in real estate and commodities and infrastructure and different asset classes. It's just learning little bit by little. You don't need to do the marathon. You just need to take step by step. Um, If you're in, you know, you have ISIS here as well, which are amazing. If you're American and you're looking at it as well, we have retirement plans like 401ks that many employers offer. We have Roths and IRAs. And so it's just navigating the language and learning the most efficient way to do so. And when it comes to investing, really time and compounding interest are our mates. They're our friends. And so um, it is something that, again, I'm very passionate for children. And I've been speaking, I'm working with some educational institutions about implementing some um, standards into their curriculum, because the earlier we learn to make this language, right, more normal, we normalize this language, the better it is for everyone. And I do that one of the, in our first session with clients, one of the things aside from the money mindset and those transgenerational beliefs work we do is I give them the homework of starting on a weekly basis to listen to either podcasts that have to do with finances or read articles about that. Because if we change our input and the environment we in, we change the way our brain thinks. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of So Money. Um, I can't remember the name of the girl who who hosts it, but do you have do you have some favorite? Pod- I mean, because yeah, it's music to my ears. Just go and listen to a podcast about it, and then you'll know a bit more. But what are your favorite financial podcasts? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm going to actually pull out my phone right now to to have a quick look at those because there are a few. So the Wall, Wall Street Journal, by the way, has some brilliant ones like Women and Money. I love that po- podcast. Another one is the Disciplined 
investor and he's an American fund manager who's really funny and loves to cook and just gives a really good um, summary of the markets in the week. You know, Suze Orman is another fantastic one that I like. Um, And there is one that is really um, good that is called the Get Paid Podcast. And you, you know, she brings in business women in there to really talk about how do you make money in your business? How did you become an entrepreneur? What are the elements? So again, when I say finances, it's not just sitting there going about, okay, let me um, just learn about, let's say, cash flow management or about investing. There's so much more that goes into finances. It's about how can I earn more? Why do I want to earn more? How can I do it in a way that I don't have to work harder, but work smarter to increase my income? Because the more money we have, the more we can save, right? And so um, a lot of the, and there's some great books, by the way, one of my favorite is this one here, Big Magic. Have you heard of Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert? Elizabeth Gilbert, yes, yes. So obviously, um, you know, as a children's author and a creative, I do work with a lot of creatives that come to me to work with them on their um, financial skills. And one of the things that I love about this book, for instance, okay, she doesn't talk specifically about, okay, this is how you invest on a pre-tax basis, right? No, but what she talks about is don't let your money problems be the anchor that will drain your creativity, right? Build sustainable income so that you can allow your creativity to say, I got you, mate. You're there. I'm working here, making my money so I can pay my rent and my groceries. And you can come to me and we work together to make beautiful stories, right? And so I, with creatives, I'll work in that fashion and help them get financial resources that are in alignment with who who they are, right? Yeah. Then with other people that might be more analytical, I'll be sending them to other types like the... um, disciplined investor, for instance, that's a little bit more technical in in that podcast. So yeah, it's just again about setting ourselves up by success, by immersing ourselves, immersing ourselves in that world so we can learn it, but again, in a way that is in alignment with our values and who we are. That's so amusing because I think I think there's two things around that allowing it's disabusing that myth about the starving artist that if you're being creative, you're never going to make money. It's a, it's a, an either or, you know, whereas what was it look like if it's yes. And you can lean into what, what, what drives you creatively and make money, but also this idea that you are really sort of tailoring bespoke advice towards the nature of the person that comes to you. And often with women, it is driven from that place of avoidance and fear. And I've never done this before. And am I going to be rubbish at this? So just just taking that sort of empathy and that kindness towards where they are. I love I love the idea that you're going, right, where are we now? Where do we want to get to? And what are the simple steps? And if I'm hearing you, so you don't actually say, oh, here's the fund to invest in. You're, you're going to then put people in touch with how they can set up their own financial well-being. Yeah, so there's a few ways. Um so first of all, I am a financial educator, not a financial advisor, right? With financial advisory, you you can be more specific about these are, you know, I'm going to put your money into this now. 
Um, a financial advisor can be a fantastic kind of role for many people, but it's not for everyone. First of all, you have to have a certain net worth to reach them. And secondly, they usually charge based on the assets under management you give them, right? Now that is a regulated role. The freedom I have as an educator is I can teach people the types of investments that could be in alignment with their goals and they can choose themselves. So there's different ways. I have people that I help do it yourself, DIY their investments, where we break down this is for instance, a stock. This is how you compare one stock to another. This is how you compare one fund to another. What is, um, you know, in the UK we have open-ended investment trust. We have, we have inv other. We have basically four different kinds of funds here, including ETFs. Okay, what makes most sense for you? Mm -hmm. um, this is what it means. This is what the expense ratios are. This is how to look at a report and understand your return. Yeah. For instance, one, you know, many times I'm on a Zoom call with my clients and they'll share their screen. I can see their investment portfolios and say, listen, you you look to me like you're very exposed to emerging market. Why don't you consider, given what's happening with Russia, Ukraine, possibly China, Taiwan, why don't we look at reallocating some? It's their choice. I give them the education to do it versus, let's say, a financial advisor that will go in there and do it for them. And that is empowering for women. Right. And so that is number number one, what I do. Um, let's say from the it's a deep dive and it depends how people work with me, right? If they work one-on-one, -on -one, it is a deep dive. If it is um, in the group format, we still have a deep dive, but of course it isn't a group format. It's a little bit different. Um, and then that's how we, we help to really demystify it. So the other thing I just um, wanted to mention, that's very important, especially as part of the financial equation is looking at a risk protection. And by that, I mean, okay, how am I protected now in my wealth and health for the future, because I'm a big believer that health is wealth. And so that is something that I help people. How can we make you, let's say, healthier in all aspects of your life? And um, I have connections and I help people build their A-team. So for inst instance, make sure they have a really good accountant, make sure that they have a good broker that helps with insurance or insurance um, agent that has to be regulated. If people do not want to DIY, I do work with some high net worth individuals that prefer they they don't want to DIY themselves, but they want to know enough to make sure the person managing their money is doing a good job. So then I focus on that and I, I have connections with wealth managers. And so I'm like, okay, this person, everything is fiduciary that I do. So I never take any fees. This is basically me helping people take their A-team to the best level, help them know what to ask. Like, what do you ask an yeah. accountant? Right. And so with entrepreneurs, especially um, a lot of my clients are as well, entrepreneurs starting businesses, particularly, and it's about looking, how can we make your personal finances really healthy so that your business finances can be okay. And part of that is me working with an accountant and ensuring that they ask the right questions to that accountant. And so that's something that I help people build those A teams around them. And even like a lawyer, Hey, are your contracts in your business? correctly, you know, protecting you from either, you know, a potential lawsuit or your, your contracts protecting you in terms of deposits that you're asking for people. So I, I really work with people super in detail about their, their wellness. Yeah. And it's, it sounds like, you know, what I wanted to come back to. So, so that's helped clarify that it really is about you getting to the point where your confidence levels are raised around I feel I feel empowered about asking the right questions. I feel like I have a certain amount of knowledge. And then you can then dig into that with individual experts or financial advisors and and, and not, again, not hand over that responsibility, which is all too often, I think, what we end up doing when we 
don't have that level of confidence, when we don't feel empowered. And then there's coming back to, you know, education and working with right from a very young age. That seems to be because, you know, I love that you've even taken a children's book. And and I know the Tree of Hope isn't necessarily about financial security, but there's something in that title which is for me around speaking to children, first of all, breaking down complexity and just allowing people to to come at everything from a point of this is all possible. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. So the tree of hope is inspired by a true story of when Hurricane Maria um, devastated my island. And it was a time where people had no electricity, no water, and there was hunger um, for months, you know? And so the tree of hope is a real tree. It's a banyan tree in old San Juan that drowned in the sea during that time. It had survived every hurricane beforehand. It's a centennial tree. And yet Hurricane Maria literally lifted it from the ground and it fell into the ocean, given its location was right near the water. But the community, despite the hardships they were facing, came together to save it, right? So it's a story of community, of never giving up, and of hope. And I believe that, yeah, there is a big parallel between us and our financial lives and our business lives and our personal lives, right? It's building that resiliency of saying, listen, it's not easy sometimes, but I can overcome this step by step. Um, I do think there's two ways to look at it as well, is that also um, it's using your talents to create diverse income streams. So me, for instance, as a financial educator, I write because my heart sings to me that I need to write. These stories come to me and I need to show them, to, you know, I need to, to, to write them and show them to the world. Number one, to give hope, to teach. But the other thing is that as an entrepreneur, I'm also having an other income stream. Mm, so there's two to, you know, to, of why I do what I do. Yeah. And that feels a little bit like, you know, any, any financial advice, which is try not to put all your eggs in one basket. 100%. And the pandemic showed us that especially, yeah. right? the importance. And that's something that as well, I always um, say to people, lean into your skills. And if you see something, for instance, when I'm helping some women for negotiating higher salaries at work, I look at, okay, what skills do you think can get you to that level? Let's start now. Let's start building those skills. Now take that course, take that degree or certification um, and build that into the plan, you know, to get there. So up-leveling our skills is so important. Yeah. And, and also, you know, future proofing and, and, and just saying, well, okay, don't leave it so late. It, when you said time is one of the, the greatest friends of growing assets, it's just put it aside now. Don't, don't sort of worry about it. Just put it safely aside and, and that will be merrily doing its own thing, growing for you. Um, which I guess does lead to that sense of overall security which is kind of where you're coming from. Yes, absolutely. It's 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 just doing like a, a puzzle, right? Let's get mm. these pieces together, mm. you know? And again, just, I, I do want to say something so people understand that there is a reason, right? That um, let's say Wall Street lingo is complicated is many times that world doesn't want us to know how things work because they get paid to make sure you don't know. <laughs> mm. Whereas I come in, I'm like, no, mate, let's teach <laughs> so people can... Build that confidence. Confidence is everything. And again, I see the transformation in people when they learn to manage their finances, their confidence shoots up. 
even, and for women, one of the biggest thing is that I always say money allows you to say no, especially to bad relationship. Mm-hmm. It allows you to say, no, thank you. This does not serve me anymore. And I'm out. And if we can allow women to have that financial cushion, like they could do so much more. It's incredible. Like the, the, the beautiful, um, part of, of financial wellness, it, it brings to, to physical wellness, to mental wellness, because there's an intrinsic link between money and mental health. Mm-hmm. And also to that empowerment of going, right. I can say no yeah. to what does not serve me. Which comes back to that, that, that quote at the beginning, which was about the freedom to make choices is essentially what this is all about. And I love that you've brought up that, you know, one of the greatest stresses in life is, is when financially things are not working. It's, it's impossible to not have that in the background the whole time. It's, it's, um, and that does impact our, our physical well-being as well. It's, it's, yeah, so powerful what you're doing, Anna. And and essentially for me, it is about, you know, what you said was so beautiful about that taking the complexity out of it, simplifying it, putting it into terms that that everyone can just approach from where they are, which is so magical. And I'm just wondering, do you have plans to make, um, so the Book of Hope, uh, the Tree of Hope is about a, a Puerto Rican story and it makes sense that it's really, it's part of your your heritage, part of your roots, but do you have plans for children's books that will will be more aimed at financial liter- literacy in particular? I do. I literally have a book proposal at the moment I'm working on to send to an editor to kind of, you know, amalgamate my strength of love, children and stories and helping them at a young age, probably, um, well, it's targeted at middle grade age, um, which I think is a great age to still, you know, instill that um, understanding of, of money. And especially nowadays, like I think about kids and, you know, one of the stories that came to my mind, by the way, is obviously as a kid is counting those dollar bills, right? And counting that money physically, it's tangible. But nowadays, as we know, cash is is very, um, it's not used as much. And so how do you teach children the value of money when they can't really touch it? Yeah. That's what I'm very passionate about. Yeah, as well. That's, that's so, so interesting that you said that because I remember, you know, part of growing up was having a money box that you put the coin in and it went into the relevant slot. And there was a very tangible thing. And I know that often if you're trying to set budgets, one of the key things can be to just go back to physical money because it doesn't feel like the transaction is so real when you're handing over a piece of plastic and you only see the results of where it's all gone a month later when you, if you look at the statement, often it's, it's that getting back to the physical, I have to take this many notes and hand them over. And that's all gone from our kind of language now. And it's going to get more and more because, you know, a lot of the circulation of currency, it, first of all, it's an expensive thing to make. And it's, it's because of the digitalization, they're trying to move away from it. And the printing of money, you go to some Nordic countries, you, they don't even accept cash in the taxi, right. Mm-hmm. Or in places. Mm-hmm. So just a, a quick money tip there is um, it's called the envelope budgeting system. Think about instead of envelopes with cash, just think about having a debit card or a credit card for the different things that you're trying to achieve. So for instance, every month I allocate for my budget, my, um, my wants, which includes things like, you know, gym membership or things like that, that budget goes into one debit card that is specifically used for that, for coffees, for lunches. And so that's a way that even though we can't be tangible with cash, it's a digital way to do it. Allocate an account for each purpose of what you're trying to save and have a debit card assigned to it, let's say. 
Wow. Wow. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's something I definitely don't do, but, um, but no, and I, I, you know, I love everything you've said. I think, I think it makes sense to me that the work that you're doing is actually helping people confront their own fears, confront their own um, uh, lack of what what they were never taught in the first place. You know, I, I don't I, I don't want to use the word ignorance because I think ignorance is where you choose to ignore it. Whereas often that education just hasn't been really readily available and hasn't been accessible for so many. And there is this sense of once you have that confidence it's when you're scared of something, when you're fearing something that you you put up those barriers and that avoidance, which is is our natural place to go when something is scary, just just disappears. So before we just move on to, you know, stories about kindness, I just want to say thank you because it's people like you, Anna, who are really helping to empower, especially women, to have those financial freedoms. And it does make such a difference in people's lives. I was just wondering about, you know, acts of kindness. You are now really stepping into that. I feel like the work you're doing now is is moving from a world that you've understood um, into how can I give back? How can I help empower other people? So when I asked about an act of kindness that impacted you, what came up for you? I loved that question because I was like, wow, there's so many to choose from, but I'm going to tie one. And it's also a money memory that I have because I think it ties into a lot of what I do. I remember I was on a school trip and I was probably in fourth grade. So I was maybe like eight years old and we went to the Capitolio, which is our capital in, in um, where we have our own legislators and Senate in Puerto Rico. And I had no money and, you know, kids were going to go buy snacks. And I was like, just standing there looking. And I said, oh, I wish I had a dollar to buy some sweets. And literally this man turned around, like, I don't even know where he came from. And he pulled his wallet and gave me $2. She's like, here you go. And I just never, like that kindness. And of course, then I turned around to my friends. I'm like, let's go get sweets. And so that was a big money lesson of saying number one manifestation, right? Mm. And 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 that energetic match, right? The kindness of a stranger to say here's something at a time where I didn't have the resources. My parents didn't have the resources to give me extra cash, but that I went and shared that with my friends. And that's what I think about money. Money can bring joy. It elevates the goodness in you. And so I think that goes back to the point of um, the more money you have, the more you can impact. And so let's do it, right? Yeah. Like, do it. Let's use our money for good to, to bring joy to other people, to give to charity, to live in purpose. Yeah. And that whole instinct to pay it forward, which is, I think has what got, has got you to where you are today. You know, it's just been something that has been a, a thread throughout your life. It's just, how can I pay this forward? How can I, how can I use my talents and skills to make the world a better place for other people? Just beautiful. I love that story. And I think it shows that, you know, it's it's right from the beginning, that sense of instead of it being a barrier or I don't have enough, what happens when I just allow myself to receive it? And yeah, things things start to change. And then we we were talking a bit at the beginning about um that net that sense of what what you have done is you've shown up in a very male dominated culture and brought that empathy and kindness into a place that it probably wasn't expected. And you said something so insightful around how what you've essentially done is just shown up as yourself. 
and that has made a huge difference to those to those worlds and how you've been able to navigate your way through that very sort of male dominated sort of financial services industry yeah yeah i think it's showing up in your authentic self which in my case includes my feminine um strengths you know of of empathy of listening and as a salesperson the biggest you know, trait uh, that you can have is listening to your clients and catching what do they really mean? What do they really, you know, mean and need in their investments so that I can help them? And I remember it's kind of funny, but some of my male portfolio managers and clients would call and be like, Hannah, I don't understand how this like works. For instance, on one thing I'd be, oh, okay. So they had the trust in me, right? And um, they would come to me and not to a male (laughs) salesman to understand some stuff. But of course I kept that between us. And so then I'm like, yeah, this is how you do it. And then we had this beautiful relationship that is based on, again, I think some of the feminine traits that we are so good on, which is also questioning things, going into things, understanding, having compassion, building that trust. And so that helped me succeed in a male environment, not only with my clients, but also with my colleagues and me as a manager, um, you know, leading the team on the trading floor as well in sales is, you know, they trusted me and they had my back because they knew. I had theirs. I showed up for them. And so as women in male environments, whether that be tech engineering, you know, whether that be finance, show up in your authentic self, because by bringing in your feminine strength, you will be able to succeed even more. Yeah. You said it so beautifully. I could not have put it better myself, but that, that for me is what female leadership is all about. It's not turning up and being a leader in the shape of a man. It's, it's about bringing those yeah, they, they may be stereotypical, but that compassion, that trust building, that empathy, that kindness into a space of leadership is is incredibly powerful. And then we we always talk about music on this podcast because it's it's just been a source of um, whenever I've asked people about it, I've always just seen people light up. Most people have a piece of music that that goes back to their roots or takes them back to their childhood or has a story around it what 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 was the case for you so um I love music and especially I love Spanish music and at first I was thinking of old San Juan which is this beautiful song that is a love story to my country and of someone who left and their hair turned white and they couldn't return in time it's that story of love between a a country and a person. Um, and, and I love that song, but something that I was thinking as well, that when I first heard it, I literally just, just remember crying and it's called I am light by Indy Ari. Have you heard of that? Where she basically talks about how, you know, I am not the things my family did. I am not the voices in my head. And it's just about elevating yourself, stepping out and seeing your inner beauty. And so that's a beautiful song that I would like to, to share. I am light. I am light. That's beautiful. So thank you. Yeah. And I think it is about shining that light, being the light, you know, that, that it makes me think of um, poetry really, when you start to think of Rumi and, and showing up as the light in different spaces and yeah, it's uh, yeah, such a beautiful sentiment. So, so thank you. And then finally the, the, the wisdom piece, you know, what, what has been the sort of one guiding piece of wisdom for you, Anna? So something that has helped me a lot in terms of um, 
let's say building a business, right? Because by the way, it's, being a solopreneur, it is not easy. You know, you you are having different roles. You're your CEO, CFO, CMO, CTO. Like yeah, all yeah. wearing all those hats. Yeah. At the beginning, especially. So one thing that I really learned is to say bless and release. When things come to me, whether that is a limiting, limiting thought or a difficult person or a difficult circumstance, I'm like, bless and release. You're not welcome in my life. Like, you know, that has really helped me as a entrepreneur. And also just the thought of saying you can't plant today and eat on the same day, right? So things have seasons. It takes time building a business. You're tilling the soil at the beginning, waiting for that future harvest. The same thing in everything we do. For instance, women who want to learn to grow their money, we start like you can't expect that what you plan today will eat tomorrow. No, let's do this piece by piece. The harvest will come, but it does need dedication and time and energy. Yeah, and a bit of foresight. Yeah, this idea that you're planting trees and it all comes back to Tree of Hope, which is... Right, I didn't even think about that. I I mean, I love trees. That's a whole yeah, other... <laughs> yeah, but it is so important that we're constantly thinking about it takes 20 years to grow a tree, so best time to plant one was probably 20 years ago, but second best time is today. So yeah, anyone listening to this who is is listening to you and all your wisdom and thinking, oh, I would love to get a piece of Anna. I'd love to have a little bit of that sense of where do I start? Yeah. First of all, that that just that financial well check, you know, the, the, the check-in. What where can they find you and where's how's the best way to, to work with you? Great. So um, if people go to my website, which is whereyourmoneycrown.com, the name comes from self-empowerment, right? Putting on your crown. So whereyourmoneycrown.com um, is one way on Instagram. I am at whereyourmoneycrown and also on Facebook. And I do offer 20 minute free discovery calls where I get to know someone where they're at, um, talk about the services that I offer and see for a match. So that, that is something that people, um, can book. And if not, yeah, just send me a DM or reach out, um, on social media, um, with questions. And I do try to offer and do videos frequently regarding, um, you know, financial wellness and topics that are important, but, um, yeah, I think those would be the best ways to, to reach out. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Anna, it's been an absolute privilege. And as I said earlier, thank you. Thank you for the way you show up, because I think it's helping people get that sense of confidence, get that sense of empowerment, but also just to be more comfortable around maybe I can go into a career in finance. Maybe I can be, you know, that person who who sets out with those clear financial goals and especially as a role model for women I think you're doing a wonderful job thank you Kat thank you Kat and I admire everything that you are doing and sharing I love the name of your podcast and sharing this wisdom it's so beautiful thank you for having me you're very welcome and best of luck with that that new book that's coming out very soon I hope yes well you know the book industry takes a long time to get things sorted, but hopefully, you know, I'll find the editor that says, yes, let's do this and we can bring it to fruition. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks so much, Anna. Sending love.
So there you have it, another really impressive female leader who is using her gifts and strengths to lift and empower others. If you want to learn more about anything that we've been talking about, I highly recommend you head over to Anna's website at wearyourmoneycrown.com, where you'll find links to some of the courses she runs and all sorts of resources and videos that might help you. I've also put links to some of those podcasts on financial health and well-being in the show notes. Thanks again for joining us and have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from, so I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can find me on Instagram at collectivewisdompod where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.